Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. We begin to walk again through the book of 1 Samuel. As you're finding your place there, I want to welcome those who are joining us via our live stream. We're grateful for every one of you and uh, you joining us in that way is a blessing to us. I also want to welcome Reach Church DeSoto. We're grateful for each and every one of you. I know you had some wonderful Christmas services, got to hear from Pastor Ryan last weekend, and we're grateful that you're with us today, and also the venue service meeting right down the hall. Uh, Before we get started, I just want to say a big thank you. At the end of the year, we challenged you to pray about giving to Bread of Life and Living Water as a gift to Christ this Christmas, and we had some big goals behind the scenes that we were praying about because we knew the ministry needs of our partners. And so uh, our partners, they, they told us last year that one of the greatest gifts you can give us is the ability to feed people uh, some of those basic needs. And, and with that, we have an opportunity to share the gospel. And so we looked at each one of our ministry partners and we knew how much we wanted to give and, and it was a big number. And uh, I can tell you, we're still getting some money coming in on this deal, but we surpassed that in an amazing way. Uh, Church family, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for giving. We're going to share more detail about that. Uh, We're going to supply a a water well to South Sudan where they're building a church, and it's going to be a blessing that community. The gospel is going to go with it. Um, And so I I just, right off the top, we we even, we gave a substantial gift to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that supports missionaries all over the world. Um, We've been able to bless our ministry partners in an amazing way, but it's only a result of your faithfulness to give. So... I pray that you only hear us say thank you. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and your generosity to give so that we can uh, continue to meet needs and send the gospel to places and to people that haven't heard it. Uh, As we turn our attention to 1 Samuel 12, we've been out of 1 Samuel for a little while. We don't have time this morning to kind of recap everything that's come before us. So as I often say here at church, you gotta do some of your own homework. One of my prayers as we uh, gather each weekend to go into God's word is that I would give you enough of a taste of God's word. I would kind of whet your appetite for God's word that you'd say, you know what, I want to go home and study some of this on my own. And my prayer is that every Sunday you're not in here saying, when is this guy going to shut up? Uh, but our hope and prayer is you leave kind of wanting more, saying, man, I, I want to dig a little deeper. So there's so much in this passage this week, there's no way we can touch the depths of it. It's a beautiful passage. And what's occurring here is the nation has just achieved a great victory over Nahash and the Ammonites. And they, great victory. They were in a bad spot and God gave them great victory. And now he's given them a king and they're in a pretty good spot, but they've really not dealt with the root issue, which is their disobedience to God. They've rejected God as king. And so really what Samuel's gonna do here, they're at a crossroads and they're gonna have to choose. King or no king, they're gonna have to make a decision. They're gonna follow God. Are they gonna submit themselves fully and totally to God? I really think it's an important message, relevant message for us today. Really this beginning of the new year, first full Sunday, and last week, New Year's Day, a little bit different, but now we're really getting into the year. And I think it's a critical time for all of us to see all of our lives at a crossroads today. I mean, really every morning we get up, we're at a crossroads. Which way are we gonna go? Are we gonna go the world's way, the way of our flesh? Are we gonna go God's way? And really Samuel is calling them to this crossroads. And I love the way that Samuel uh, deals with this. Um, the, these, these biographical sketches that we get of these great men of faith in the Old Testament. Now, I don't know about you, I read Samuel. I've been amazed again, just kind of reading Samuel through a couple of times this week and, and looking at Samuel and how he responded to certain situations because he's calling them to a crossroads. And in many ways, this call to a crossroads is a farewell speech on Samuel's behalf. 
to some extent, they fired Samuel. They said, we want a king. And so this will end kind of his time as a judge and he's gonna move more into a prophetic role. He's still gonna be very much a part of the life of the nation, but his role changes. And how he deals with these things, we get a chance even in this speech to see a bit of the character and the heart of Samuel. So we're gonna see some traits that I hope is true of all of us as we seek to be leaders for Christ out in a world that desperately needs Jesus. So his example is powerful. You ever, you ever heard that saying, uh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink? But you know what you can do? You can feed them salt, and uh, salt will make them thirsty, and they'll want to drink. And do you know what I do? I, I really think is, it's always fun to, to study particular characters, especially in Old Testament, these great saints. It, it's like God feeding us salt that long, makes us long and hunger and thirst for more of his righteousness. So I, I pray we'd see that crossroads, and this morning we would grow in our thirst for righteousness to be like Christ in a lost world. Let me, let me pray for us. We'll work our way through this passage. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before your word today. And God, I confess today I'm not worthy to stand here in this place and proclaim your word, but I'm grateful for your grace. And the truth of the matter is we, all of us, myself included, come in desperate need of your voice, your truth, and your word. And so for these next few moments, I pray that you'd help us to lay aside anything that would distract us. And God, I pray that you would speak. And I pray that you would bless your word. God, every person in this room, they come from different backgrounds, different places, different situations, right now at different places in their life. God, I don't know where they're at. I don't, I don't know them individually, but you do. And I believe you, had a word, you have a word for them today. So God, speak through your word, by your spirit. Draw us to yourself. May we leave here changed because we met with the God of all creation. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, look with me, verse one of chapter 12. Just walking verse by verse. It says, then Samuel said to all Israel, behold, I've listened to your voice and all that you said to me and I've appointed a king over you. Look at verse two. Now here is the king walking before you, but I'm old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you, and I've walked before you from my youth even to this day. In these first five verses, Samuel is really going to establish his character. He's really establishing his legacy, that he has lived a, a blameless life in front of them. I've, I've listened to your voice. Uh, you remember they came to him, and uh, they said to Samuel, uh, you're old, your sons are bad, appoint your successor. And when you think about that, they really attacked Samuel in the three most sensitive areas of any man's life. They attacked his age, his family, and his job. You wanna hurt a man deeply? Hurt him in one of those three areas. And they came to Samuel with this, and, and Samuel, I, I'm amazed. I would have said, I'm out. You guys figure it out on your own. You don't want me, I'm gone. Samuel goes to the Lord in prayer, and Samuel leads them through this transition and so as he's, he's lived before them, uh, he, and he begins to call them to this crossroads, he's gonna establish kind of his own legacy that I've walked blamelessly before you. He says, now I'm old and gray. It's the fatal condition of all of our lives. I've gotten old. And, and then note too, he says, my sons are with you. And it's no small thing. It's, it's no insignificant thing that he says, my sons are with you. In other words, my sons are not with me. You remember they came to him about the wickedness and the immorality of his boys. And what's apparent here is that essentially he fired his sons as judges over the nation. Uh, you remember, I think it was etched into his mind the lesson of Eli and his two boys who, who walked in immorality. And Samuel determined in his heart he wasn't going to make that same mistake. 
And so it's a powerful picture before this nation that when it came down to my own personal interests and even my own family, I chose God and faithfulness to him and and faithfulness to this nation. So uh, my sons are, are, are with me and I've been before you. My life has been lived out in front of you. And then look what he also says in verse three. Here I am, bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken or whose donkey have I taken or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I'll restore it to you. They said, you've not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. He said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, he is witness. And so Samuel says, look at my life. I mean, it's a powerful thing for a leader who has lived a very public ministry in front of them. And he says, Tell me if I've done any wrong. Have I wronged you in any way? He says, I haven't taken anything from you. In other words, I didn't use my spiritual position to line my own pockets. I didn't leverage this this position of spiritual leader in the nation to benefit myself. I've lived in a sacrificial, servant-hearted way before you, and I've been blameless. It's important that you see there, I have not taken, I have not taken, because Samuel said to the nation, when you get a king, And that king wanders from God, what will he do? He'll take. He'll take your money, he'll take your stuff, he'll take your children, he'll put them in his army. He'll take, take, take. And Samuel says, I have not taken a thing from you. Part of what I think Samuel is doing here is it's kind of an accusation. He's he's kind of working as a prosecutor would to say, that old system that you've rejected of God being king and me being judge, you may not have liked it very much. It may not have been popular. It may not have been modern. It may not have been real flashy, but it worked pretty well, didn't it? That I served you well. You can find no fault in my leadership. I didn't take an advantage of you. And, and he's really establishing what I think made Samuel so effective as a leader in the nation is that he was a man of integrity, He's a man who actually lived out what he preached and they got to see it. We see he'd go on these preaching circuits. Samuel lived a life that was before them and what they saw in Samuel was a man who actually lived out what he preached. This is really the word integrity. It means that what you preach, what you believe is fully integrated in your life. That who you are on Sunday is not different than who you are on Monday. And as we look at Samuel's life, I think it's so important for us to be reminded that we we live in a day and age where we have a world that I think is desperately longing to see people of authenticity and and integrity. Everybody's skeptical of everything. We're skeptical of the news. We're skeptical of politicians. You ever do like me and you see a politician saying stuff and you say, do they really believe that or are they just saying that to get elected? And you look at it, sometimes what they say in public differs very much from their own private life. And then we become skeptical. And we do it with uh, uh, advertisers and celebrities that promote a particular uh, soda. And you, you, you catch yourself saying, do, do they really drink that drink or are they just saying that to line their pockets? And listen to me, I believe we live in a world right now that's wondering, do these Christians really believe this stuff? Because here's, what's, here's what I think they're seeing so many times. These people claim one thing, but they live another thing. 
If we're gonna be effective as, as witnesses to Christ in this world, we must be men and women of integrity. That what we, who we are is more important than what we do and what we say. I'm often reminded, this was very impactful for me, but it's a good reminder to me, it doesn't matter what I do on this stage on Saturday and Sunday mornings if I don't live it Monday through Friday, if I'm not living in the house of my own preaching and not living beside it that hopefully as much as I'm praying that the word of God changes you, you're seeing that the word of God is changing me and that I'm growing in Christ just as we're all seeking to grow in Christ. That's what it means to be men and women of integrity. You may have heard it said, I'm camping out here, but I thought this was so important. You ever heard it said, example is better than precept? Meaning that (laughs) what you do is more important than what you say. And we all know this with children, don't we? We see it with our kids that, that the lessons we teach far more are caught than, than they are taught. Uh, the best example I thought of this this week is my two boys, they love Alabama. They love Alabama football. They love Alabama basketball. They love any Alabama athletics. They absolutely love it. Now, I don't know, you have to ask them, but I'm pretty sure that there was never occasion when they were growing up that we told them, Wyatt Walker, y- y'all gotta love Alabama. And here's why you're gonna do it and, and, and we're gonna tell you about it. No, what happened? They just grew up in a home where we were pretty passionate about Alabama sports. And guess what? They grew to become pretty passionate about it as well. Listen, if we want people to follow Christ, it means that we gotta live Christ out in front of them. We can't just come to church and we can't just fill our heads full of knowledge. We better actually live this stuff so that they see that we're, this, this stuff makes us better husbands. It makes us better fathers. It makes us better employees. It makes us better citizens. We live this stuff out. That's what I think made Samuel most, most effective is that he says, look at my life. I live this stuff in front of you. God is, is looking for men and women of integrity. Those are the people that he uses. Well, look with me in verse six. Not only does he say that I have been faithful and I've been blameless, but he says God's been faithful. Look at verse six. Then Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, so he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. When they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, but now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we'll serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and, and Badan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. What he's establishing here is that I've been faithful to you and God most assuredly has been faithful to you. God has never let you down. He reminds them of their past history. We don't have time to delve into all these stories that he brings up here, but the picture here is God brought you out of Egypt. He delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians. God brought you into the land. He blessed you in bringing you into this land, and yet when you got in the land, what happened? You forgot about God. Is that easy to do? To, to in, our, in our blessedness and in our security, just got to put God on the back burner, and they'd put God on the back burner, and they'd start serving idols and, and following after everything, and then, then what would happen? They'd find themselves in a bad spot. God would deliver them into the hands of their enemies and they'd find themselves in a bad place and what would they do? God help us, we need you. If you'll save us, we'll love you again. And guess what God did? God answered. 
When his people would cry out to him for forgiveness and, and grace, when they turned to him in repentance and faith, God would deliver them. God sent deliverers like Jephthah and, and Samuel and other judges that would come and deliver them from the hands of their enemies. What Samuel is saying is God has been faithful to you even when you weren't faithful to him. He's been gracious to you. He's blessed your lives. So Samuel has established, I have been faithful. God, God has been faithful. Well, what happened? Look at verse 12. It says, when you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. So what happened was they ran up against a guy named Nahash. And you remember, Nahash is threatening to cut out their right eyes. He's got them in a bad spot. We studied it the last time in chapter 11. He's got them in a bad place. And all of a sudden, instead of crying out to God as they've done in the past when they find themselves in a bad place, now they decide we want a king. And so instead of in their despair and in the midst of their sin, now they've kind of broken the cycle because the cycle up to this point is forget God, fall into sin in a bad spot, cry out to God, and God delivered you. And then they'd forget God. they find themselves in a bad spot, they cry out to God, God would deliver them. Now they forgot God, they found themselves in a bad spot, and they don't cry out to God. They say, give us a king. It's like there's been this switch in their mind that all of a sudden they, realize, they, think, they begin to think to themselves that really the problem isn't uh, us, it's, it's, it's the fact that we, we, would, we wouldn't find ourselves in these positions if we just had a king. And so instead of in their despair crying out to God, they look to the world and the nations around them for a solution to their problem. Do we ever do that, by the way? We find ourselves in a bad spot and the last thing we wanna do is actually turn to God as the solution to our problems and we try to look to the world to solve the problems of our life. Well, the nation, they suddenly turn away from God, they reject God. Well, look at what Samuel says. Verse 13, now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Do you know what Samuel says? You rejected God, you made a bad choice, and now you're gonna belly up to the consequences of your sin. Listen, you sin, sin always has consequences. Always has consequences in our life. And God is a God of grace and forgiveness, but sometimes we have to deal with those consequences. And the nation's gonna have to deal with the consequences of asking for a king, and God granted them a king, and they'll deal with that. But will God leave them alone in the midst of their consequences? No, look at this, this is the good part. Look at verse 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. God says, boy, you've made a bad choice. You rejected me as king. You wanted your own king. I gave you what you wanted. And you're gonna deal with the consequences. But here's, what, here's the good news. God says, bad choice, consequences. But if you'll turn to me, if you'll turn back to me, I'll bless you and we can start over. You know what I wrote in my Bible right next to that verse? I wrote the word mulligan. Any of y'all play golf? Any of you like me and occasionally you'll slice one over to the woods and occasionally you'll have a really gracious playing partner who will say, did you tee off yet? I don't even think you teed off yet. Why? why? Why don't you put a ball down and actually tee off this time? And you say, thank you, Jesus, for grace. I love playing with those kinds of people. Can I tell you, God is a God of mulligans. 
And some of you, you've made some bad choices in your life. And some of you, you're dealing with the consequences of some of those bad choices. Do you know what God says to you today? If you'll turn to me, despite all your sin and the consequences of those sin, if you'll turn back to me, I'm a gracious God. And I won't leave you at the table of consequences by yourself. I'll come to you. To me, there's another powerful picture here, too, that God says, listen, king or no king, the real issue of the nation hasn't been the form of polity. Now, we know that the ultimate polity is a theocracy where God rules. They had that. But what I see here is that it doesn't really matter the type of governance. What matters is that all the people, the leadership and all the laity submit to the Lord. It doesn't matter if it's a monarchy or a, a, a representative republic or a democracy. Listen, every form of government, government disintegrates when you lose a submission to God and his holy word. And you can take just about any form of government and if all the people and all the leadership will submit to God and recognize him as the authority, you'll see God's blessing upon those people. And so he says, you gotta turn to me. Opportunity for a fresh start and a new beginning. Look at verse 15. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. It's Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. You know what God's saying? You can do whatever you want to do. You don't have to go this way. But if you go another way, don't expect me to bless that way. I mean, listen, it is true of your marriage today. God has given us a design for marriage, amen? He gave us biblical principles. He's given us a way to operate within the institution of marriage that he designed and he created. And God says, here it is. You can do it my way and you can know you'll have my blessing or you can think you're smarter than me and you can do it your own way. But know this, I'm under no obligation to bless that way. How about we go with the former and just do it God's way and know we have his blessing? That's what God's calling the nation to here. You got two paths, a path that you can be assured, I'll be with you and I'll bless you, or you can go your own way and see how that works out for you. Well, look at verse 16. Even now, take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Verse 17, is it not the wheat harvest today? I'll call to the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you'll know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. Verse 18, so Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And so I think the people were probably wondering, you know, we hear this two-path deal, Samuel. We, we hear what you're saying, but we're still not sure. Is this just you talking, or is God really behind this? Is this really, is this just Samuel, or is this God? And Samuel says, buckle in, folks, because God's gonna do something right here to let you know that you haven't sinned against me, you've sinned against God. You know what Samuel's telling the nation? It's not about me. You don't really have an issue with me. You have an issue with God. And God sends rain and thunder at the time of the wheat harvest, which wouldn't have been a time of rain, so it occurs at a usual time. And God sent thunder down, and then all of a sudden, those people realized, we've sinned, and we've sinned against God, and we're in big trouble. It's the heart of David in Psalm 51 when he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your eyes, so that you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Listen, when you get to a place where you recognize the depth of your sin, when you get to a place of realizing that you've sinned against a holy God 
you will always get, you also get to a place where you realize that what you really deserve is death. And that's where the nation is at. We have sinned against God. The, the scripture is not, uh, not shy about letting you know that the fear of the Lord will drive you to repentance. And so they greatly feared the Lord. And then verse 19, then all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God so that we might not die. There's finally a recognition in this nation that we have sinned, we've sinned against God and what God should do is just wipe us all out. And so Samuel prayed to us and prayed to, what does he say, to your God. That's interesting. They didn't say our God, your God, because there's separation. Listen, when you move away from God, you can get to a place of feeling like you're so separate from him that he's no longer your God. So Samuel, pray for us, for we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. Verse 20, Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. This is, a, this is an amazing word. Listen to me. If you're here today and you realize the depth of your sin, you realize you've sinned against a holy God, you realize that the wages of sin is death, you realize that what you truly deserve is death. Listen to me. When you get to that place, don't be afraid. And here's why you don't need to be afraid. Because God has never turned his back to a person who comes to him with a broken heart in repentance and faith. Isn't that good? That when you come to a place of brokenness and guilt and understanding your sin, God never turns away. It's what amazes me about Judas who saw Jesus on every occasion that somebody came to repentance of faith. The only person that Christ ever rejected is the person who came to him in pride. But all who came to him in humility and repentance and faith, he embraced them. It's the picture of the prodigal son, you remember? The son just starts his way back and the father's waiting. And the slightest turn of repentance, the father runs to him and embraces him. Listen to me today. If you're in a place of sin and brokenness and guilt, if you will turn to Christ, he will run and embrace you and forgive you. What a great word. Don't, don't fear. Look at verse 21. But you must turn aside, for then you go after futile things which cannot profit nor deliver because they're futile. Don't turn to these other things. They, they won't save you. Verse 22, for the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name because the Lord has been pleased to, take, to make you a people for himself. You know what God says? He won't abandon you, not, not because you're great, but he won't abandon you because he's great. Listen to us, those of us who know Jesus Christ, it's not because we earned it. It's not because we impressed God. None of us, I think of the apostles. It was never, God never, well, Christ, when he's here on earth, never walked around saying, boy, that Matthew sure is good with numbers. We gotta have him on our team. He's impressive, we gotta have him. No, none of us were impressive to God. God doesn't save us because we're great. God saves us and he's gracious to us because he's great. And not only that, but he says, God won't abandon you. Why? Because you're his people. And God, listen to me, God is also a finisher. What God starts, he always finishes. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, this is a good word for us today. 
If you truly know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you may wander for periods of time. You may walk in disobedience. You may fall, but God won't let you fall too far without pulling you back. And some of you will come back kicking and screaming and crying, but God will pull you back not because you're great, because God always finishes what he starts. Man, this is the good news about being God's child. He won't abandon you for the sake of his glory and his name and his reputation. He carries us on. I'm not gonna abandon you, rest assured, because of the reputation of my name. Then look at what he says in in verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. I love this about Samuel. Samuel basically says, and this is to me, these are the parts of this, all of it was convicting to me. These are the parts that are incredibly convicting to me because the man of God who is called to be God's messenger, God's messenger boy, his faithfulness is never dependent upon the response of the people. Do you know what Samuel says to him? You got a path here, you got to choose which way you're going to go. And Samuel says, but you need to know something. Regardless of what you choose, I'm going to keep praying for you and teaching you. Man, that's a man of God who says, I'm just gonna keep right on praying for you. And, and Samuel, I wish we had the time. Samuel was a man of prayer. He knew that the vitality of this nation was dependent upon prayer. Every time you see the nation go to war, guess what? Samuel says, you guys go to battle and guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go pray. Because Samuel understood that the front line, listen to me, in every area of your life, the front line of the battle is fought and waged on your knees in prayer. Do you remember in Exodus 17 when Moses was leading the people against the Amalekites and, and, uh, and he says, Joshua, you go fight the battle and I'm gonna go up on the mountain and I'm gonna pray. And do you remember he's up on the pray, mountain praying with his hands lifted to the sky and they begin to notice when his hands go down, they start losing. When his hands go up, they start winning. So they send Aaron and her. Y'all hold up his hands. Why? Because God was painting a powerful picture to that nation that the battle will not be won on the basis of the soldiers in the, in the valley. It'll be won on the basis of the man of God on his knees in prayer. Listen to me. If we want to see God do great things in our lives, in our homes, in our nation this year, we better be a people who take prayer seriously. Because the front line of the battle is not the politician. It's not the legislator. And it's not D.C. It's the people of God praying. There's a power there. He understood it. And I'm going to teach you. I'm God's messenger. Boy, I won't change the message based on your response. I'll just be faithful. And then look what he says. Verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. Samuel's saying you got one of two paths. You can go God's way. And he says, as you consider that path, remember the great things he's done for you. In your life today, as you begin a new year, remember the great things God has done for you. I mean, God is a gracious God. God of grace and forgiveness and mercy. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. 
But there's another path. <coughs> Excuse me. And it will grind you up and it will tear you up. And it leads to eternal destruction. The question is today, which path are you going to follow? Choose you this day whom you will serve. It's a new year. You can go God's way and know his blessing. Or you can go your own way. Let's commit this year to going God's way. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks so powerfully and relevantly into our lives. And Lord, I thank you for the picture that you paint here with the nation of Israel as they come to a real crossroads of deciding which path they're gonna take. Samuel calls them to recognize the guilt of their life and the sin of their life. And then he says there's an opportunity for a fresh start. There's some people here this morning I know, maybe some people watching online, they need a fresh start. Some of them, they've never known you, they've never trusted you, they've been walking in sin and disobedience and they've been reaping the consequences of that path. Maybe bringing momentary periods of happiness but always reading, leading right back to a place of brokenness and destruction and pain. I pray that they would know this morning there's another way they can go. And that's to submit their life to Christ. To come to him in repentance, to turn from their sin and turn to him. To trust in him alone. And God, I pray that they would know that fresh start that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. God, there's also probably some people here that know you, but they've, they've wandered, gotten off the path maybe much like Israel, just in the course of ordinary life, they've forgotten you, they've put you on the back burner. God, I pray that they would know today, no matter what they've done, no matter what mistake they've made, if they'll turn to you today, you'll run to them in forgiveness and grace and they can know the joy of walking in fellowship with you. Lord, we love you, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.